Welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming from the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota. I'm Lucinda Winter, Executive Director at SFA. Today, I'm joined by Patrice Bailey and Lillian Otiano from the Emerging Farmers Office at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. They're here to help us better understand the purpose of the new Emerging Farmers Office and the value it brings to Minnesota's emerging farmers and our agricultural community. Thanks to you both for being for agreeing to be on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. We're very happy you're here. So let's start at the beginning. Um, and Patrice, maybe you could um, t- could answer this one first. Tell us a little bit about the genesis for you know for the creation of this office. What why why is the Emerging Farmers Office needed? Well, the office is needed because it's never. Uh, been established in in any department of agriculture in the country before. Um, and a funny way of how it came about was in 2021, uh, a little bit after uh, we there, there was an announcement of a surplus, uh, Representative Samantha Vang had gave me a call. It was just an informal call out of the blue. And she says, hey, you know, with this new surplus that we have, if you had a wish list, what would you wish for? I said, well, if we're dreaming, let's dream big. I said, well, it would be great to have an office for emerging farmers with staff. Uh, it would also be great if we had translation services and money for that for every year. And she says, is that it? I said, well, I think those are two big things. And she said, okay. She hung up the phone. And a little bit after uh, that call, maybe a month after that, um, that office was created at that point. Wow. So that's, that's, that's big. That's big. It is big. And it's also, it's also around the, um, the end of, uh, George Floyd, um, in terms of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, stigma, uh, that was happening, uh, within the legislature with some legislators who didn't want to hear the word, uh, equity or diversity, they just didn't want to deal with it. And it was in, in that atmosphere that this uh, fight began to, to happen, uh, both in the House and the Senate. Right. Um, and I'm going to ask, um, and Lillian, if you, could, if you could handle this part of it. For those people who just aren't sure what the term emerging farmer means, who 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 are emerging farmers? How, how are they identified or defined by your office and in, in the larger context of our community? I think in the larger context, um, I'm not so sure that we have uh, a definition that we can pinpoint, but uh, it's, it's definitely uh, folks who wanna get into agriculture, um, those who are interested in agriculture, but have traditionally faced a lot of barriers because it's no secret that um, most of our, our processes and products and programs were more designed for um, commercial agriculture, right? In terms of our grants and resources and whatnot. So you find that um, a lot of folks who are interested in 
in getting into agriculture or folks who are farming at a smaller scale or they're up, you know, urban agriculture um, face those uh, barriers and gaps. And so when you think about that, you also think about the equity in agriculture, right? And, and so the groups and uh, communities that are impacted by that inequity are women, um, farmers of color, so BIPOC communities, um, you have uh, folks from the disability community, um, farmers who perhaps identify as um, uh, from the LGBTQI community, um, you have veteran farmers, you have um, folks who traditionally are have been interested in agriculture, but for whatever reason, the MDA or uh, in general federal programs have never really addressed um, their needs. So those that that is in in general what we what we define as emerging farmer farmers. But emerging is a definition that you know if you look at um, the standard English dictionary, I believe it says that something new or something coming to. Uh, and so these are new farmers. We have immigrant refugee farmers who are bringing in new products, um, new pallets. Um, and, and new ways of farming, not that they they need to be taught how to farm. They have farmed before, but they're farming in a different environment. And so they have uh, different needs. So so that's what we kind of mean by emerging farmers. That's good. It's a it's a really broad group. Um, and it goes again back to the, um, you know, uh, diversifying the and, and, and creating greater access, which I think also is very much in alignment with some of the struggles that that um, sustainable, you know, people who are trying to farm regeneratively have faced the agricultural um, incentives and and the structure of our larger agricultural industry um, haven't really favored the work that's being done among our members with soil health. So there's really a lot of confluence between the work you're doing and the work that I think SFA is doing with 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 um, regenerative farmers. So I know I'm curious, and I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners are, what drew you? You two have very interesting backgrounds, both of you. Um, and I, I, I did a little bit of snooping on LinkedIn, so I know a little bit about where you, where you both um, came from. Um, and I'm interested, what, how did you find yourself um, doing this work in the new office um, at in MDA's new emerging farmer office. Why don't you start, Patrice? Tell us how you how how'd you land in the square. Well, it's a it's a funny story. I didn't want to be in agriculture initially. It was a uh, it was a conversation my mom and I were having uh, six months before uh, high school graduation, and she said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "I'm going to go to law school." And she said, there's too many lawyers, so why don't you do something that you can feed yourself any, in any part of the world you may happen to be? And of course, I said, well, what is that? And she said, agriculture. And I said, mom, I don't want to be a farmer. And she said, it was so much bigger than that. Um, so I still couldn't be able to, to see this, this vision. And it wasn't until my first year of college, I went to um, Chicago for the um, the World Ag Expo that they had there at the time, I think it was in 90, 92 to 94, something like that. Um, and there was uh, big business. There was, there was Glacier Water. There was Petra's Farm. 
And I happened to look at the Petrus Farm booth and there was a, um, an older gentleman that I saw when I was a kid on television. Uh, it was an old guy that said, hey, you know, talked about how great Petrus Farm products were. It was this guy, his name is Charlie Welch. And I, I told him, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm from New York and I grew up in Harlem and um, I'm studying agriculture. And just spend an hour with him, just really understanding that even though you are from the city, that doesn't um, uh, negate the fact that anyone can grow anything in soil. And so I left that uh, World Expo uh, feeling like I could do this. And I, I didn't look back after that. Wow, that's interesting. And you've really been on a tour because if you're from Harlem, you went to school in Texas, then somehow you wandered to Iowa for a master's degree. And now here you are in Minnesota. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's an interesting path for, for some somebody from for me from some I'm from the Midwest. So that's that's an interesting circuitous route you took. It is. And, and just thinking that, um, you know, when you look at the Apollo as you in the mornings when I would go to school, you know, when I would come out uh, of the train station, I would see the World Trade Center every day. Those are my sort of my two worlds. So when I would come home, um, there wasn't much conversation, uh, you know, with any of my peers because we didn't see the same things. I didn't go to the school in the neighborhood. So we we just saw two different worlds. George Washington Carver went to Iowa State um, as well. So, you know, that was something of uh, that solidified why I was there. Oh, really interesting. And um, yes. Lillian, um, I know you went to school in Switzerland, which again, very exotic for, I'm from Hopkins and, you know, didn't get much beyond that until uh, high school. So tell us a little bit about um, you, where, where, you're, where you hail from and how you got here. I'm originally from Kenya in East Africa. That's that's where I was born and raised. If if you know anything about African parents, when you're going to college, education, first of all, is really important. But when you're going to college, you telling your parents you're going to learn how to cook um, is not going to get you very far. You, I'm going to spend money to teach you how to cook. You've been cooking. Um, <laughs> So, but I, I say that because one of the things I wanted to do was hotel management. I went to an American institution actually in, in, in Switzerland. So I did international political studies, international relations. I ended up not doing hotel management, didn't go to the hotel school. It's funny because my path just somehow landed in food, food and beverage. My first job when I got back home was working with uh, an organization that was tasked with uh, addressing issues of taxes in the food business, the, the, the tourism food business. And so I was doing that and then I did that very briefly and then I, I got an opportunity with Coca-Cola. So then I was in the beverage, um, beverage area. And um, soon after that, I was relocating to the United States and they really liked the work I was doing with Coca-Cola. And, and so I worked with actually Coca-Cola here in Egan. And soon after that, then I decided, you know, wait a minute, I want to be an attorney because I was wanting to do that. Went and worked for a law firm, did the LSAT, decided, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. So ditched the idea of going to law school and then ended up uh, working for a big box company uh, doing food safety in five states. 
Uh, and funny enough, one of those, one of my accounts here in Minnesota was inspected by the Department of Agriculture. So that is how my relationship with the Department of Agriculture started. So I knew those guys. And when that opportunity ended, I decided to join the agency and it was a, a natural fit. I went and did uh, public health. And uh, when the emerging farmer office came calling, I got into it. But I should say that uh, this is because of also of an evolution that I have seen within um, the agency in terms of a lot of times when you thought about roles within the Department of Agriculture, you think more scientific, uh, regulatory, um, but someone like me coming in with soft skills, uh, doing outreach and engagement and, you know, community work. So there was that space for me. I'm not highly scientific, never wanted to be. Um, but so I got in, uh, I worked with the agency and, and, this opportunity came up and it was just a great fit. And that is how I got here. And those soft skills that you're talking about are so important, especially because you're launching, you know, you two are basically in charge of launching in, in uh, this new office and building relationships, which is a big part of this um, and uh, making it successful. So your soft skills are, you know, are a number one, I'm going to guess. So let's talk a little bit about that then. So. Um, what are the goals for the office? What what do you, if you're looking year, two years, three years out, what are your goals and what, what will you what will you consider success to be and in, in the next few years? Patrice, do you wanna take that one sure. first? Well, you know, the goals are are always uh running uh, a, a constant tally, but uh more of the goals is to address uh, healthcare um, throughout the state uh, to talk about um, how emerging farmers can work uh, more collaboratively with the farm business management uh, world. Um, the other part is uh, more staff uh, to the office in terms of assisting in the scope of work that's already been started by Lillian uh, and branch off from that. And I think, um, to create specific grant opportunities for emerging farmers so that they can establish their own businesses to go from a consumer to a producer is really sort of that launching pad so they can have some self-sufficiency for themselves. Right, good. And what would you like to add to that, Lillian? Um, of course, there's, uh, in terms of being able to do this work and have an impact and 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 to be very intentional, we do need staffing. Uh, currently, this office is just myself. Of course, I do get a little help from um, some of our admin colleagues here and there. And but for us to be able to serve the entire state uh, and to be able to serve the needs of all emerging farmers, and and because this office is beginning to gain a lot of traction we have a lot of people interested in getting into agriculture. So that is more needs and, and more creative ideas and innovation coming in from uh, a lot of folks interested in agriculture. So um, increasing the capacity of this office is, is a major goal. Uh, and we're glad that that is part of the governor's uh, budget recommendations. And so we're hopeful that we will prevail in that as well. Uh, but also um, also hoping that we can remove the sunset period that was um, put forth for the working group uh, 2025. We hope that 
we can um, have that removed so that we can continue to have that working group because we need that working group to continue to inform the work of this office uh, and also to inform how we move forward in terms of uh, supporting emerging farmers. So, um, and you know, as we, you know, I mean, I having worked a little bit with state government myself, it's always, you know, you're always, especially with the two-year sunset on a lot of funding, um, it, you're, you're sort of in the in the in a place where you're wanting to prove yourself and the value of your office right away. I mean, what ways do you has that? I mean, as as an organization working um, directly with farmers, I think there's already a lot of awareness about the value of what you bring to to the party here. What are you seeing as some of the um, successes or the ways that you feel like you're already starting to be effective? I think we're we're already starting to be effective. One, I can tell you that when I got into this office, um, we don't have data. Let's let's be clear about that. We 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 really don't have robust data. We have data sets from various areas that we we kind of work with um so collecting that data is is also i should say going back to your your, your question before i answer this is also a focus of ours we, we hope we can get resources to collect that data but onto this uh the question you just asked um uh, we 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 did not see we are seeing or we have seen based on this office being in place a huge uptick in um farmers of color interest in agriculture. I can tell you that a lot of uh, African immigrant farmers, I could count for you uh, how many African immigrant farmers we had or farmers of color for that matter. And now we have a lot of farmers of color who have gotten into agriculture within the last year or two years one or two of which have actually successfully managed to buy a farm. Uh, that has not been without a lot of blood and sweat. <laughs> As uh, one of our emerging farmers is, is a very good uh, example of someone who started off in agriculture way back when, but has just had a lot of issues trying to uh, purchase land and just recently managed to purchase land. Um, another emerging farmer who's also of African descent just managed to purchase a small piece of land and that is a huge win. Um, so there is a lot of um, folks uh, of color, farmers of color who've gotten into agriculture. And I think the other interesting piece of this is they have also, they're learning the power of numbers. Um, so forming these groups um, that they can then advocate for themselves, uh, but also um, use those networking opportunities between various groups, not just you know the groups that they form, but also the existing uh, farming communities and groups, including SFA, right? Um, that they can leverage all those learnings and uh, resources uh, to allow them to be successful. So that is that is something positive that we've seen uh, with this office. What would you say is, and Patrice, maybe you could take this one. You know, there are a lot of, of, of organizations out there, um, Renewing the Countryside and SFA and, and uh, Kazua Berry's group. What would you say is the, an advantage you have because you are in, embedded in, in terms of your value and ability to help because you are embedded within MDA? You know, I would, I would actually take it back uh, to 2019. 
um, when um, the governor and the lieutenant governor were on the campaign trail and um, and commissioners were um, forming their teams. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to you know our current commissioner Tom Peterson because you know Tom did something that other commissioners did not do, and that was to hire a person of color, the first person of color, uh, to to be on that leadership team, and um, and that was a big uh, first. But it was for thinking of how can we reach more opportunities within underrepresented communities. And so I carry that um, that same thinking in hiring um, as well to make sure that there's equity within our um, hiring, but also making sure that the face of agriculture uh, uh, sort of dismisses the stereotype that we see every day. And and so there's 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 lots of um, these these uh, strategies that we have to to deal with in order to dismiss uh, those stereotypes uh, because they're so ingrained in our children, they're ingrained in society, and they're certainly ingrained in um, you know some of the organizations that we work with because it's not the norm and. Um, and you know, I don't see that as a bad thing. I see it as a as a as a challenge that we can overcome through uh, a process of understanding how how the game works. And we tell um, farmers all the time that you know, at the legislature, this is a at the Capitol, it's a it's a chess game. It's not a you know they don't play checkers up there. So what I mean by that is that. You have to understand how power moves. You have to understand why, um, you know, your voice is so important in, in the whole realm of making a difference for those that are not in the room. And, and that's really taking the self-servancy out of why, why am I there? Yes, I'm there to get information, but I'm also there to learn something so I can pass it on to somebody else who doesn't even know that this is the process that's actually happening so that there are two people, a community, you know, that is educated because of the one or two people that were in the room sitting watching the process uh, unfold. Right. And there again, soft skills, so important because it's all about yeah. relationships, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I really like that point. And I just wanted, I really appreciate that point, AC Bailey, because one of the things that I tell farmers is, and, and we have to be candid about this because part of, I think, our role also is to, to be able to do that due diligence, right? I mean, we're here as stewards and in, in, in the work that we do and we're um, working with the legislators and, and whatnot, but the idea of representation and participation it's one thing to be represented, but it's another thing to participate. So I think that is that is in tandem with what uh, Assistant Commissioner was saying, that we can offer this platform. We, we are intentional about having this platform and this office and the opportunities and working through this, but we also want you to be engaged, right? So we offer the platform uh, for the representation 
but it's important for folks to be engaged. And I think that extends even beyond just the farmers themselves. I think that extends into also the um, organizations that work with farmers and the farming community. I think it's important to participate and to participate at various levels to advocate or to collaborate, but mostly to advocate for all of us. If if we do better, if we all do better, we all do better. I think somebody said that. I don't know who said that, but somebody smarter than me said that. But I think it makes sense. Um, and so we do, we do, we do continuously. I know the assistant commissioner and myself. We're never shy about letting uh, letting farmers know that that is also important. We want you to also participate. We want you to go talk to your legislators. We want you to show up, learn about that process, learn about what it means to get a bill through, how that is, what those hearings are about, and how your voice can actually um, make a difference. So that leads me directly into um, a question that's on the list, and it's perfect for right now. How and you can be a little more specific if you want. How can we, SFA and the other organizations, NGOs out there, and the people that are our members and our supporters, how can we help you? How can we help your office be successful? I would say uh, that's that's a really excellent question. Uh, SFA has always been a premier partner uh, with MDA and for both of us personally. Um, in terms of relationships. I think the the best way to do that is also to help get the word out, to advocate, to let people know that emerging farmers doesn't stop at uh, intersection on I-35. It, it has arteries that sort of embed themselves in new communities and existing communities. Uh, so getting the word out, uh, we also, uh, want to promote the fact that, you know, there's an ag census this year. It's extremely important because the ag census is every five years. And for those who do not know that five years ago in 2017, the ag census had said that there were 39 black farmers. And as um, Lillian had talked about this, we know that there's so many more people out there, but the engagement is the piece that's going to allow prosperity to happen within this this particular state? And you know, there's there's one thing to stand on the on the on the sidelines. It's another thing, as she said, to uh, to be engaged. So the census is a is a uh, is a complete account of U.S. farms and ranchers um, and the people who operate them. And I would include emerging farmers and aspiring farmers to that definition because. It is uh, this uh, culmination of how do people uh, find out more about um, things that are happening. So that is two things that I can think of that is the most important thing is really getting the word out and letting people know that there is accessibility through MDA and all the partners that we all work together uh, because we need each other to make things happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on top of that, I think we, I, I would, I would also challenge um, communities, but but mostly organizations um, beyond collaboration 
is also addressing equity. Because I think at the MDA, we, we're working on addressing equity. Are we there yet? Absolutely not. But are we really working hard about it? Yes, we are. Do we have the best intention? Yes. We, we have a fantastic commissioner who this is something that he has allowed us to, to do whatever it takes and how we, we, we feel we can best address this issue. And so we're appreciative of that. But I think I think there's also um, there's also a, a place for um, ag- agriculture organizations to look within um, themselves and, and ask themselves, what are they doing to address issues of equity or expanding those opportunities to uh, emerging farmers? And this goes back into what we talked about earlier about, I think everybody has a stake in this game. Um, not just look at the MDA or even not just looking at the legislatures themselves. Uh, It's all of us. How can we all play a part in making sure that we're looking at how we are, um, how we are defining agriculture. We're looking at the stories that we're selling uh, and the narratives that exist in, in organizations, but also within that food system. So that is that is the point I wanted to make, but in terms of also how to assist us, um, that collaboration means um, being in sync with a lot of the programs and processes that we have at the, at the agency. For instance, right now we we're working on our strategic plan. Uh, and one of the things that we've been very intentional about at the MDA, uh, is bringing in those community voices um, in a lot of the work that we do. The MDA actually now what we do before uh, a session, we actually invite the community farmers to come in and weigh in on what we should perhaps uh, advance in our uh, agriculture budget. Uh, and so we're doing the same thing with our strategic plan. Next week, we're going to have listening input sessions that the public can come in and weigh in and, and provide feedback, either by attending those sessions or going into our webpage and, and providing that feedback online. So we want to try, we want to try and make sure that that is part of our modus operandi, if you will, how we do business moving forward. Um, and so that is a way that I think um, organizations like SFA can can assist us in moving that those uh, that information forward, but also bringing in your membership and your farmers uh, to join in those uh, in those spaces to provide that feedback, just to help inform how we do business and how we move forward. Great, well, you've just given us two good ideas for um, some sharing we can do immediately um, on the census and, and um, also input on the strategic plan. So it sounds to me um, like you're, there's really some very serious um, and genuine attempts at, at breaking down walls um, and, and opening doors, which um, is is a good thing. Cause I think that um, it, it, it takes a long time to change some of the stereotypes around government agencies, right? But it starts with what you're doing. So that's great. And we, and we, um, we did something uh, very, um, very new, very, very bold is that uh, in working with um, FFA and 4-H leadership, uh, MDA, we actually worked on a, um, a license plate in the last a year and a half. 
And so the plate actually really talks about removing some of those barriers because on the plate, it's the only plate that I've seen out of all the agriculture plates within the country that actually focuses on dealing with diversity and inclusion in, in, its, in its truest form. And that's really uh, a testament to not only these two organizations that are beneficiaries of the proceeds, but also to the state and also to MDA uh, to help promote this, um, to make sure that inclusivity is, is always there to allow people to be supportive of agriculture. So if people are not knowing that a plate does exist for them, it is out there, it's in every DMV, it's on the wall, uh, so they can get their, uh, they can get their plate. I got my plate, Tom has his plate, the Lieutenant Governor has that plate, so <laughs> just putting it out there. Yeah, no, and so. actually, it's, I have, I have seen it, and that's another thing that would be, I mean, because I think it's super, super, you know, it's beautiful and really cool. And it's a fun way to, when I, what I find about license plates, because when I worked in my previous job, I had a license plate um, that said, you know, the name of my, it said MM film. And I got, even at gas stations, I would get questions. So it can be a conversation starter, which is a good, it's an, it's just an easy way to have conversations with people, which is really exactly. Cool. Tell, it yeah, tells a story. It tells yeah, a story. Exactly. Exactly. So um, let me ask you this. What would you say, looking a little bit further out, would you both feel in, you know, three or five years from now, what would you, what would you most like to see having changed on the landscape of Minnesota agriculture that you feel that you would have, your office would have its imprimatur on? I would say that I'm hopeful that we can be a one-stop shop for emerging farmers, that land access would not be something we have to debate and deliberate and figure out ways to provide access to funding and access to land, that we would have language accessibility, right? That folks are not finding barriers in terms of not being able to communicate in a language that meets their needs. And that doesn't mean that they're not smart enough. It just means that the delivery of that information does not meet their needs, right? So I'm hopeful that um, we, you know, looking far ahead, maybe it's a little utopian, but that that is where I hope we can be, where agriculture is indeed accessible to anyone, who wants to farm, um, that uh, folks, and, and you know, this extends beyond the Department of Agriculture. We have other players um, that impact uh, folks who wanna get into farming. So it's not just the Department of Agriculture. We have USDA and all their programs. We have uh, agencies, revenue, either the Department of Health or others, depending on what type of farming operation you're interested in, right? So looking, making, hoping that we can also move forward in a way that we don't work in silos as an enterprise where uh, those who are interested in farming, emerging farmers, we can be a conduit into all these other areas and to make it easier for uh, those who want to uh, get into farming to be able to farm. I would also say that, um, 
you know, you're thinking about uh, Langston Hughes and talking about a dream deferred. You know, I would never want anyone's dream to be deferred because they were silos within themselves of of, of change and progress so that um, so nothing can be realized. If you're looking at a generational wealth gap that we have currently, not just in Minnesota, but across the country, three to five years, a lot of, a lot of stuff can happen because in three years ago, uh, so many things have transpired, but it wasn't uh, for lack of um, uh, fanfare. There is a way that there needs to be a level of being courageous through these uh, these these processes to allow others to rise, so that the door of uh, of opportunity doesn't doesn't um, it's not just something you can see through one eye. That you can actually move the door open over time, so that everyone gets a chance to walk through that gate. The last thing that I would say is that John Grisham had wrote a book some years ago when he was doing a project around homelessness. And the name of the, the story is called Some Place for Everyone. And he, in the story, he talks about how, you know, oftentimes as a society, we do not see people in need because there's a level of cellophane, imaginary that people do not see another person. Um, you see that at certain um, all, certain businesses that have this uh, stained uh, uh, frosted glass. Well, that's sort of how agriculture has been um, within Minnesota and also other states. But we wanna be able that people can actually see equity and everyone is seeing the same um, the same topography of agriculture. And we can't do that without our partners. We can't do that without SFA. Uh, we need a collaborative spirit to be able to say we move in one direction. And within that direction, you have a, a, a ton of uh, people that can help you get to your that dream. So, you know, I really try to stress that if you're going to join an organization, join an organization so you could be a part of a family, you could be a part of a collective and not be sitting here on your own because you want to have, you know, this is all mine. No, you have to be able to work with other people in order to create a network for yourself. And, um, you know, that's something that is always a wish for three to five, 10, 30 years down the road that you want people to actually see agriculture as a, way of feeding the world than it is for uh, people to look at stereotypes of, you know, that's not what I want to be. And it's a true service learning opportunity of going from a point of I had to do something to I want to do something. And so that's part of that process. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. That's really interesting. Um, I have a, one more question for, for both of you. Um, and that is, you know, I mean, because you are, you know, you're in, you've, you're, you're in building the office mode. So we know you're working a lot of hours and all of us have things in our jobs that we, you know, we, we absolutely love doing and some things that we do because it's part of the job. What one project are you working on right now that you are totally jazzed about? 
Well, you know, yesterday I had um, a meeting with uh, Hollis Winston, the new mayor of Brooklyn Park, who I've known prior to, and just the the opportunity to reach people where they are, you know, it's always something I'm jazzed about on a daily basis, but to really say, you know, because of all the hard work that that has been that blood, that blood, sweat and tears. Um, now you have a, an avenue to point people and say, if you have emerging farmers, um, you know, there's there's a space for them in, in, a, in an organization that uh, normally um, they don't normally hear about uh, or actually see within their walls of, of the zip code that they reside in. So I'm always jazzed about being able to have someone say, well, what is that? And being able to tell them about, you know, agriculture uh, could be a, a vocation, but it also could be a way of life uh, for those who want to be able to do that. So I'll pass it off to my esteemed colleague. <laughs> and your esteemed colleague agrees, um, because I think I think a lot of times um for a lot of communities, agriculture was not a viable economic opportunity. It, it, it was difficult and they just didn't see themselves, you know, in that phase of agriculture. I think a lot of our um, farmers will tell you stories of um, when they show up in some spaces, people are surprised that they're farmers uh, because there's an image of a farmer that is not necessarily a person of color with overalls and a John Deere truck and a red barn and, and whatnot. So that is that is exciting. Um, I think um, I'm very excited about a lot of the opportunities that are coming down the pike, uh, not just from our own state legislature and, and from our agency, but also the federal government. I think the USDA is doing a good job. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. They still have a lot of work to do, but we're seeing that they are uh, putting down a lot of uh, programs and a lot of funding that are addressing inequities uh, within underserved communities. And some of those uh, programs we are working towards, like the Local Food Purchasing Assistance Program, which we're looking forward to put out that application here soon. But also uh, from a state level, uh, the Down Payment Assistance Program, which is an opportunity now, uh, our first one, uh, in trying to address the issue of uh, capital uh, for land access. Um, we're getting ready to do the second round of that. Um, that's going to open up sometime in June, July, uh, and also other um, other items that we're looking forward um, to the legislature passing those so that we can um, we can address some of the issues that are impacting emerging farmers. So I am excited about uh, all that work that is ongoing. But I wanted to also say that um, in a larger picture. Um, I think it's important for our viewers to, want to, to, to know that inclusivity in agriculture is, is, what, we, is what we're thinking about, is, is, is how we are approaching this. And, and that also accounts for commercial agriculture, because make no mistake, they have a part to play. All of us have the, the space for all of us. 
because that goes into also the economics, the ag economics for this state, right? Which is also heavily invested in, in, in that part of that commercial agriculture. So we're not demonizing them. We're just saying that there is also space here for uh, emerging farmers and, and, and this scale of agriculture. We also, I think information is important. Um, I'm hopeful uh, moving forward as one of the things I'm looking forward to be just about is um, the opportunity to be able to tell the stories of uh, farmers, emerging farmers. Because I think if you have stories and information, it, it goes a long way into informing and educating people um, so that folks understand why there is inequities. Where did we come from? What are those historical issues that we are still dealing with the consequences of, of those uh, terrible decisions uh, that have got a lot of folks into where we are today or are built into the structures of inequities that, that govern how we are placed today. So I think I think it's it's addressing those, but also remembering and addressing having those stories is also talking about indigenous farmers who are also part of our emerging farmer communities. What does that mean in terms of land and land access? And how do we make sure that we're being very intentional and thoughtful about what our history means and, and why we're here and how we can do better? It's not about demonizing anyone. It's not about going back and trying to litigate the past. It's about figuring out how can what can we do now to address those issues and to be able to move forward. Good. Okay. All right. We're about done, but there is an extra credit question. And that is, if an aspiring farmer were to call or email either of you next week and say to you, I'm on the horns of a dilemma here. I'm really interested in farming in this, and seriously in making my living as a farmer, but land seems expensive and I'm hearing a lot about the cost of inputs being expensive and it's just, what would you tell somebody who was approaching you asking you whether they should take the leap? What would you tell them right now about what kind of time this is to be wanting to get into agriculture as a, as a farmer? I would say you're brave. <laughs> I would say, hey, you're very brave. Uh, no, I would say this is a fantastic time to get into agriculture. Um, it's a fantastic time because I think I think the landscape and, and the narrative and, and just the, I think it was a, the assistant commissioner who said something about the, is it the temperature or the environment right now is, is, is very, is, you can feel it. Um, folks are interested in in helping and and assisting and figuring out, and that goes for the Department of Agriculture. And if you can allow me, I would also want to plug SFA here. Um, I have known about SFA, attended a lot of your events, and I know for the past two conferences where you've had an emerging farmer track, uh, and not just had that track, but really devoted a lot of focus, a lot of time, and resources in providing that platform. Those are not things that I'm sure were there in you know, some years back. So that is just an example and, and that is appreciated and it is noticed and it doesn't go unnoticed. People notice that and people do appreciate that. By people, I mean farmers do appreciate that. So I think I would tell that individual that this is a good time to get into agriculture. 
we have stakeholders who are also in tune with making sure that they address these issues, they're willing to help. We have a legislature that is working hard to address those funding needs. The federal government is also USDA, is trying to address some of those issues. Uh, is it perfect? No, uh, but you will get some help. You will get some help, or at least we will find, we can, we can steer you to uh, folks who can answer your questions or figure out a way to get you into this journey. So that is, that is what I would say, but I'm sure my my very able friend and colleague <laughs> has I would, more points. Yeah, I would I would say, um, you know, what does gener generational wealth mean to you in regards to um, your family? You know, if it's something that you want to pass on to, you know, your heirs, I say go ahead and do it. If there's something that you want to do because you want to you know, also be in the fabric of um, the local and world economy, I say do it. Um, if it's something in which someone says, you know what, I'm going to be bold and courageous to be able to do something that I've never done before. I mean, that's the true point of, of taking that leap of faith of not knowing what's going to be on the other side, but just trusting the fact that the process will allow them to be successful. And I think with with those things, I think I would tell someone to pick up the phone in a heartbeat, uh, send us an email. I would say join a um, you know a working group meeting that we have next. I would tell them to 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 exhaust all of their opportunities to be able to learn as much as they can before they actually says, you know what, I'm going to do it. Very good. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think this is a good time because there's more support out there. I think for those who are willing to seek it out, more mm -hmm. network, you know, more community, um, regardless of who you are, what you look like, or where, where you come from, than there has ever been before. So um, exactly, it's a, it's a good note for us to end on. And I very much appreciate your spending this hour with us, both of you. Thank you both so much, Patrice and Lillian, um, and. Um, we look forward, we were hoping that we'll be able to do this again as you have more news you'd like to share with, with um, SFA and our, our agricultural community. So thank you so very much. Wow, thank you so much. Always an open invitation for you. <laughs> yes, thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org. Thanks for listening.